appreciate you both. Love you. Thank you. All right. I want you to open your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm, if you have them with, them, with you. I want to say thank you to uh, Zach Backus, has become a dear friend of mine. Um, you may have people in your life that speak life into you and that breathe life into you, and we all know there's plenty of people who breathe death near us or on us, and uh, Pastor Zach has been one of those guys who breathes life into my life, and I'm grateful for that, brother, so thank you for that. Now, uh, I have so many friends uh, connected to your church from over the years, um, people that I consider dear friends, Andrew up here playing the keys tonight, um, so many folks I'd, I'd love to mention, but I just want to say to you that what I admire uh, the most probably about Victory Life Church is your heart for the community. So the way that you invest into the community, want to be a blessing to our city, the way that you bless people who are not connected to your church, other pastors, other churches, other ministries, I just want to speak a word of honor to you um, for that, and I'm so grateful to be with you tonight. Now, God led me to this passage in the 23rd Psalm. He told me to preach it. I've been arguing with him about it for a few weeks now since I knew I was doing this, because when you're the guest preacher, you want to come in and bring something kind of a little different, right? So what are you preaching on? John 3.16, right? Bless the Lord, right? Everybody's like, we've heard it. So I'm bringing you a fresh word from one of the most familiar passages in the Bible tonight, Okay. I wanted to bring something like awesome, some gospel passage from Obadiah or something that would just have really wrecked your world tonight. But God led me to preach from Psalm 23 to you because we don't create the content, we just deliver the content, right? Um, Like a waiter. A waiter doesn't create the menu. A waiter doesn't tweak the recipes. A waiter doesn't cook the food. A waiter just brings the food to the table. So my goal tonight is just to simply bring you the food to the table. And I pray that it would be sustenance, it would be good for your heart, it would be good for your minds, it would be good for every part of you and your life. Psalm chapter 23, I'm going to read it together, and then we'll share some things from there. Psalm chapter 23, and I ask you to listen to it, maybe as if you've never heard it before, listen to the words of the text. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. As an OU fan, I've always said that means you just keep going right past still water, okay? And you go right on to Norman. But I'm not sure that I've got that right. I might be a little bit out of context. You take it for what it's worth. Okay, in all seriousness. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Call this message Life in the Valley. Can we all agree that life down here on earth is not perfect? Can we all agree that we see as though dimly through the glass 
at this point. Now, don't get me wrong. We have God as our Father. We have Jesus as our Savior. We have the Spirit as our deposit. We have heaven as our home. We have been blessed. And there'll be a day that we see clearly, right? There'll be a day that we see Jesus face to face as he truly is. But we still live in an imperfect world down here in the valley. Life as we know it is life in the valley. And I want to focus our attention on verse 4. So I want you to hone in on verse 4. And I'm going to bring out four principles from verse 4. This has been on my heart for quite a while. The, con- the content of this, this passage has been on my heart for quite a while. I've been going through a difficult season in my life that I'll share with you a little bit as we go. Um, and then Pastor Zach said something on Facebook the other day, and I read it, and I was like, I literally just shared the truth of this verse with, the, with some folks tonight at our church with our Celebrate Recovery ministry and just the, the words he used were almost like he'd gotten a hold of my message. And then he, I listened to his first uh, sermon on this Work in the Wedding series. And at the end of the Work in the Wedding series, and by the way, I concur with him and agree with him in Jesus' name that we shouldn't uh, stop and, and, and curl up in the fetal position when we go through hard times, when we go through the struggle, when we're in the wedding, but that we walk through the valley. Amen, right? And that, that struck me, and it struck a chord with me. But then I thought, man, the Lord's going to have me preach this at Victory Life. I said, but what about Obadiah? He said, preach him Psalm 23. And so I want to kind of pick up where Pastor Zach left off with that idea from Psalm 23. Here's the first principle from just this one verse. We will all walk through dark times in life. What's the verse say? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And just like the analogy of sheep walking through difficult and dark places, we will all walk through difficult and dark places in our lives. The world we live in is difficult, amen? It's difficult because you and I live in it, okay? Really, it is. We live in a sinful, fallen world. God created a good world, Genesis 1. Behold, he saw all created, and it was what? Good. Revelation 21 says he's going to bring it back to a perfect state. What happened in between Genesis 1 and Revelation 21? I did. And you did. And my mama and daddy did. And your mama and daddy did. And we can just keep tracing it back to our father, Adam. We live in a sinful fallen world where our sin collectively over the years have made many experiences of our life a valley life in the valley sometimes the fact that life includes suffering darkness and difficulty causes people to give up on God to disbelieve him But that thinking ignores the truth of verse 3. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. What does paths of righteousness mean? It means the best path available. So a sheep might have to walk through a dark valley with a ravine near it and a big, big sheer canyon, and it may block out the light, and it may seem scary, and it may seem windy, and it may seem cold, but the shepherd knows that that's the best path available. And the shepherd would not take the sheep through that path if it were not the best path available. 
And so we say to the shepherd, but dear shepherd, I have a path too. Like when my kids say, but dad, I have an idea too. And sometimes I take them down a path that doesn't make any sense to them, but that I know is the best path available. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He knows things we don't know. Please don't lose heart because you've gone through some difficulty. Please don't lose faith in the goodness of God. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God, right? All my life you've been faithful. He's been taking us through the best path available our whole lives. And we haven't always recognized it, but he is good in the midst. Second thing I want you to see, and don't get too excited as I go one, two, three, four, because I got a whole other set of stuff at the end, okay? I really do. Zach told me two hours is my limit, so here I go. We will walk through dark times in life, but praise be to God, we don't have to be afraid. What's the next phrase? I will fear no evil. We shouldn't fear evil. God can turn our darkness into light. You know what Psalm 139, 12 says? Darkness is as light to you. Just because we serve an enemy who wants to kill, steal from, and destroy us. We don't have to be afraid. You know why we don't have to be afraid? Because greater is he that is in us than any power that's in this world. Dark times in life will come. If I'm afraid of them coming in the future, I not only give what might happen tomorrow my time, but I give today my time, right? What you're fearing from tomorrow might not come to pass. So why would I give it today to you? I, I, I tease the mothers in the room. Now, you guys are going to start elbowing each other. But this time of year, moms start hiding their children from the flu. And you'd be like, I ain't seen you in church in six months. They're like, what's well, flu season? I like, know it's flu season for like three months, two months, right? Well, we're going to keep the kids safe. By the way, little preacher side note, you let them go to school, but that's a whole other story, all right? Took them to all their ball games, but that's a whole other story. We're going, to, we're going to shield them from the flu, specifically on Sunday, because it's worse with the church, I guess, the flu. Now, however you interpret that from my loving pastor heart, wink, wink, okay, and maybe a kick in the pants, however you want to receive that, what are we doing when we're terrified of getting the flu? We might get the flu because we live in a sinful, fallen world. I might get a bad diagnosis someday at the doctor's office because I live in a sinful, fallen world. But I'm not going to give my whole life up to being afraid of that disease because if it gets tomorrow, I'm not giving it today. And if my kid gets the flu tomorrow, that's okay. I'm not going to be afraid of it today. I'm going to take them to church. And I'm going to bathe them in hand sanitizer. It's going to be awesome, right? Just because... We walk through dark and difficult times in life. We don't have to be afraid. I will fear no evil. One of the greatest tools of our enemy is fear. This preacher has struggled with fear for most of my life. I want to share with you just a little bit about the first real difficult season in my life. I want to try to be brief with parts of the testimony I'm going to share with you. But when I was a child growing up in Enid, Oklahoma, anybody know where Enid, Oklahoma is? All right? On the Great Plains in northwest Oklahoma. More cows than people in that part of the state where the Lord grew me up. But in Enid, Oklahoma, 
my uh, mom and dad met in a bar, not not really setting your foundation on the, your family on the best foundation. And mom became mom became kind of a workaholic and and, and my hero um, to hold us together. My dad was an abusive alcoholic. Um, my dad was physically abusive, mostly to my mother and brother. Um, he was mostly just negligent, you know, um, neglectful of us. He, uh, he did go to jail, committed a firearm felony, went to jail. Um, I spent a lot of the next several years living in fear because my dad struggled with kind of a paranoia, schizof- paranoid schizophrenia, and he, and he somewhat passed that along to me, maybe not genetically, but for sure through some of his actions, right? He would always be afraid of things, thinking people were following him. It was always the worst case scenario with my dad. And so I, and I had to go to school, had to go to school with, with uh, the man my dad shot. I had to go to school with his daughter and stepdaughter. Now, nothing says, bless the Lord for first hour, like sitting across from the lady, the girl that your dad just shot her dad. How do you explain that to folks at tetherball time, right? It was a hard time in my life. And I look back at it, and I see God's fingerprints all over it, and I glory in what Jesus has done in my life. So I do not, I'm not, woe is me. There's been so many people that have so many more difficult things that have happened. But this caused a great deal of fear in this 11-year-old boy when this happened. 12-year-old boy. Side note, this is not in my notes, so it's a dangerous rabbit trail. I will tell you that I got a phone call of the real daughter. There was a stepdaughter and a biological daughter. That real daughter called me not long after I moved to Durant four or five months ago and basically spoke blessing into my life and told me she was not mad at my father and wanted me to know that with what my dad had done. Talk about somebody, yeah. What what would she have to gain in that? She just wanted to bless me and wanted me to know that she wasn't mad at my dad. And she told me some great things about my dad and his character in his life, in the time that she knew him and interacted with him around those bars and things. It was a huge blessing to me. But that season was a difficult season in my life. And I slowly became a slave to fear. But God gives us deliverance from fear. Right? Romans eight fifteen. You did not receive the spirit of slavery, you may remember, to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, God is my Father, so I don't have to be afraid. It does not matter what difficulty I've encountered in this sinful, fallen world. Because of who my Father is, I don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in fear. I put my kids in bed. We listen to a Christian Stanfield song that's a little bit old. Um, called Always. You may have heard it. And there's a line in it that says, I will not fear. His promise is true. My God will come through always. And we play that song as our kids go to bed. For years, we did it just about every night for just about every kid. Because what do you hear from a kid's bedroom at night? Daddy, I had a bad dream. Daddy, I'm afraid. Daddy, where are you? You know, they wake up half, you know, half awake and startled. So the last thing I want them thinking when they close their little eyes and go into their deep sleep is God has never let me down. He never will. So I don't have to be afraid. And when we tell them, I will not fear, there's a why. And that's the next point from the text. And that's the presence of God. 
When my kids say, Dad, I'm afraid, and I said, don't be afraid, why do I tell them not to be afraid? First of all, because God is with you. And secondly, because Daddy is with you. Right? The presence of a holy and loving Father dispels fear. Always has. Always will. That's that verse. Here's point number three. Our God is ever-present, and His presence changes everything. That's why we don't have to be afraid. We're going to go through dark times in life. I've been through some, am going through some, might go through some in the future, but I don't have to be afraid because God changes everything. And because he is with me, because he is with me in the struggle, he's with me in the waiting, right? He's with me in the dark valley. I'd rather be in the dark valley in the presence of God than on the sunshiny mountain without him. Do you see that? His presence changes everything. His presence is the single biggest factor in overcoming fear. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20, David said to Solomon, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God is with you. He will not fail you. Do you see a theme here? Why we're not supposed to be afraid or discouraged. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Just like I look my beautiful babies in the eyes and say, don't be afraid because daddy's here. Our heavenly father looks us in the eye and says, don't be afraid because I am with you. I love what Psalm chapter 16 verse 11 says. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. My children, their daddy has a pretty busy schedule. And uh, people get sick and people go to the hospital and people have marriage problems. And we have life groups and 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 conduits of ministry just like you do but there's times when I feel the need to be there in a pinch so sometimes they have evenings where daddy's not as home as much as he'd like to be or a bedtime or something and I've noticed that regardless of what they have afforded to them whether they get to eat out whether mom picks up McDonald's because dad's not home tonight and she's tired or whether there's a home-cooked meal or whether there's a show they get to watch or whether there's something they really like I've noticed something about my wife and I both. They'd rather have us home and skip that stuff every time. Right? When when my mom, excuse me, my wife, when their mom is gone with work, when's mommy coming home? Right? What do you hear all night? When's mommy coming home? Where's mommy? But I gave you McDonald's and got your show on TV. Right? Got you a new toy. Where's mom? Do you see it? It's the power of relationship. It's the power and the strength that comes with the presence of a loving parent. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And then the last thing is that our God acts on our behalf. We will go through dark times in life. No getting out of it. This is life in the valley. But we don't have to be afraid. I will not fear Because the presence of God changes everything, and that God acts on my behalf. Look what it says. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
the rod and the staff embody action, right? Two different tools to keep the sheep not only safe, but also in line. By the way, God will sometimes keep you in line. But many other times, he'll use the other tool and keep you safe and shield you and protect you. And if you're like my mom, you just use the same tool for all of it, right? Wooden spoon, sandal. My dad had a thong he loved to use. Weighed as much as your house, you know. The rod and staff represent the work of God on our behalf. When we're attacked by wolves, he doesn't just sit there. He jumps into action with the rod and the staff. God doesn't comfort us like some things comfort us. You ever heard the phrase comfort food? I'll tell you this, for my eight-year-old son, biscuits and gravy comforts him, all right? It's a true story. He came into big church the other day, and I said something about chicken fried steak. I said, I, I, wish, I wish it were true that chicken fried steak was healthy, right, and good for you. And I hear, amen, right over there. It's my son, right? He knows a little bit about I didn't know he was listening. He's eight. I'm like, go back and eat some more glue, kid. But he's, hey, amen, he was, he was with me. Biscuits and gravy might comfort my son, but they don't really help him. Your kids ever have a stuffed animal or a blanket, what I would call a whoopee, right, that, that comforted them? I can't go to bed unless I have my blanket with me. Well, the blanket might comfort them, but the blanket's not going to help them if an intruder comes in the house. We don't serve a God who just the idea of him in a warm and fuzzy way comforts us. We serve a God who acts on our behalf. We serve a God, amen. We serve a God who created us, who sent his son to die for us. His son, we say it so many times, we lose the impact of it. He sacrificed his child for us. He has Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. He protects us. He pursues us. The fact that each one of us are in this room tonight is evidence of an act of God on our behalf. You have breath in your lungs because of God's love for you. You're sitting listening to the word of God from the Baptist preacher, which is crazy in itself at Victory Life Church. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? I love it, right? You're hearing it. It's cool. It's awesome. It's awesome. I'm so grateful to be here with you. But all of this is because God acts on your behalf. It's not because you orchestrated it or worked it out or that your righteousness is what earned you his love. It's because he loves you in spite of yourself, loves me in spite of myself, and his rod and staff are active on your behalf, and that should give you great comfort. Do you see that? Our God acts on our behalf. I want to share with you the most recent difficult season in my life. So in May of 2018, so a little bit about my story. So Enid, Oklahoma was my upbringing, that rough t time with alcoholism and stuff. Ended up going to high school in Garber. My mom had a, a great uncle sell her a, a property really cheap. She was working two or three jobs trying to make ends meet. Went to school at Garber High School, all right? Ended up at First Baptist Church because I was chasing a girl named Mandy, all right? Now, 
by the sovereignty of God, I did not catch Mandy at First Baptist Church, but I did catch a little more of the word and a little more people who love me, and I did get connected to the body of Christ in that way. I was raised in a good body of Christ at Enoch Bible Church, but there were some issues there that, that caused us to leave there, so I needed a good body, a good community to be in, and I found that at First Baptist Church in Garber, Oklahoma. And, um, and by the way, Greg Engel has some good Garber connections, okay? So we have to, sometimes we, we talk, in fact, uh, we were in Garber for some, for some Thanksgivings at the same time some years ago, and we would we'd kind of have fun talking about that. So I end up in college at Alva, Oklahoma, Northwest Oklahoma State University that's in the same conference that Southeastern plays at. And I end up becoming a youth minister at age 20, which is a really stupid idea, at First Baptist Church in Cherokee, right? Once by God's grace, I didn't get fired multiple times, and he led me and guided me, and, and then he just put ministry as a passion of my heart. I became full-time there, and then he brought me to Durant um, as the youth minister in 2005 at First Baptist Church Durant, and then he called me back to Cherokee to be the pastor in 2015, and I did. I went. And then he called me to come back to Durant as the pastor in 2019. So I'm getting a little bit of whiplash from my travels back and forth between Cherokee, Oklahoma, and Durant, Oklahoma. But I love both churches, and 23 years always give me the privilege of serving just at two churches dearly. But last year, and my mom, my dad passed away in 2011. Last year, my mom, who's been my hero forever and was the, just the, the absolute treasure to my children, now, if you're a grandparent here tonight, you'll understand this. She was that one grandparent that the kids just lost their minds over, right? My kids love all their grandparents, but she was the one. And in 2018, she, my mom worked two and three jobs, just the toughest lady you ever seen. I'd take her in a ball, bar fight against most of you any day. She just, I'm, 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 I'm being honest with you. She, she literally had to fight for her life a few times, and I'd take her over a lot of people. Just tough and just a, a goer and a doer and a never quitter. And, in, and and she started acting funny a couple times on the phone. She'd always come over to the kids' events and things. And I didn't know why God called me back to Cherokee if he was going to call me back here until my mom got sick and took her. And I knew, by the way, that one of the things he was doing was giving me the last four years of her life for me to be with her, with my children, okay, an hour away. So I see his hand on things. Um, but. In that time, kids just kept getting closer. She'd come to all these events, and I, I called her a couple times on the phone, and she did not sound right. And I said, are we coming to your house for Mother's Day or not? And uh, are you coming to our house? And she goes, son, I don't feel good. And she was kind of crying over the phone. And I'm, I'm telling you, toughest woman you've ever met, so these kinds of things aren't right. It'd be You would expect to have me crying on the other end of the phone, okay? Not my mother, you know? She'd tell me to shape up, suck it up. Well, what had happened was we found out within a few days that, that mom had had um, breast cancer that she had in 2012. It had come back and metastasized to her brain. And so for the next six months, we prayed fervently for mom's healing. Um, mom fought. Mom believed and mom fought the whole way. Um, she triumphed over death and Satan and hell in, in going to be with the Lord in uh, November of last year, November 29th. By the way, I don't say she lost her battle because if anybody ever won, it was my mom, all right? So she didn't lose her battle. And if you have a loved one, if you have a loved one that's fought a disease and, 
and they've gone on to be with the Lord, I want you to know they won as well. But because she was such an anchor and a hero to me, uh, I slipped into at least a small D depression, right? I don't know if it was clinical or not. I leave those things up to the Lord and the professionals. But I know that I was down in that six months of, of being a caregiver to her. She passed away. I injured my back on Thanksgiving Day. She got she she fell ill uh, in the worst way two days later and had to be put on a ventilator, and she passed away. I went to the hospital. While I had this real bad injured back, she passed away. I preached her funeral, barely able to stand up. I was on some strong drugs, okay? I kept preaching. I, I got this chair out of the foyer of my church because I couldn't stand up. So I put this chair in the middle of the room to preach in, and I would like, some friends would wheel me in on a wheelchair. Like, this was not wise, okay? And I would just like walk up to the chair, and I sat down. And one day, I literally said this, and you shouldn't say this, by the way, okay? I said, good morning, I'm Pastor Jim Jones. Welcome to the People's Temple. Um, please open your Bible. Like, don't preach when you're on drugs. Life lesson number one, okay? I... I tried not to miss any Sundays, and I swear if I would look back and listen, I'm not going to. If I were to look back on the, on the archive, you know, web stream, I don't think I'd hear good things. Because that was bad in itself. So I struggled. I preached my mom's funeral. It was just a dark time. I, could, I couldn't really sit up. I had to recline all the time. It was just, there was this loss of my mother, and I was grieving her. I'm still grieving her. I was grieving this physical change that I'm still not quite over, but the Lord's working me through it, healing me and getting me there. Um, and then in April of this year, God began to call us back here to Durant. And while I'm thrilled to be here, leaving there was very difficult for me. That was my spiritual family and the group that had raised me up in ministry and unwisely slotted me to teach their teenagers at age 20, Right? And just, they just bore with me in love for a lot of years. It was another thing to grieve. I realized a couple months ago that I was also grieving over the fact that me leaving Cherokee left a wound with many people there that I loved. I began to grieve that. My wife and children have been walking through, hey, we're still walking, amen, the valley of moving, leaving friends, redefining activities and paradigms been buckets and buckets of tears at my house. Another thing to grieve. It's life in the valley. But I will take heart. I will not fear. Because the presence of God changes everything. The God that we serve. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Yes. Listen to me. The God that we serve is not wasting our time in the valley. The God that we serve is doing things that we can't see. He knows things we don't know. He's up to something that we're not aware of. And the Bible's message for me is not just to simply dry up my tears and to get over it. Weeping is typical of life here in the valley. Don't buy the lie that you can't weep and still be a believer in Jesus. Weeping is typical of life in the valley. There's going to be a day that I don't weep, but it's not now. I felt a lot like the psalmist in Psalm 31.9. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief. My soul and my body also. Psalm 39, verse 12. 
Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. So here's how I want to finish with my last few minutes with you. I want to finish with a message of encouragement to you about how God sees our tears. A friend shared an article with me that outlined these things in in really simplistic form, and I've kind of added to that. But here's a few things that the Word teaches us about how God sees our tears. Weeping will happen in the valley. So what does God say about those tears? First of all, he says, I see them. I see them. 2 Kings 20, verse 5, God said to Hezekiah, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. If not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from God's notice, neither does one of your tears. Consider some other cases. Hagar lifted up her voice in the wilderness. God drew near. Amen. Hannah whipped bitterly outside the temple. God noticed. David was weary with moaning. God was not weary of listening, we find in Psalm chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. What did David say? The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. Psalms 56 talks about God putting our tears in a bottle. The God of all comfort keeps watch over my weeping. The God of all comfort keeps watch over your weeping. No matter how much of your anguish has gone unnoticed by others, not one moment has escaped the attention of the God who neither slumbers nor sleeps. That's our God. He sees your tears. But the Bible also says he cares about your tears. In a culture that is often uncomfortable with genuine grieving, sometimes we do the quick wipe. You know what I'm talking about? The quick wipe, right? A little dusty in here, right? Someone says, what's wrong? And you go, my allergies, right? We got to do the quick wipe because the culture is not comfortable with genuine grieving. Well, don't take me to lunch because these guys will tell you, I'll cry the whole time, right? How you doing, Gary? Well, I'm going to quit doing the quick wipe because God cares about my tears. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Have you heard that before? Psalm 147 teaches us that God's compassion not only draws him near to the brokenhearted, but that he also binds up our wounds. And we should also remember that with his good friend Lazarus, Jesus wept. Think about the Lazarus account for a minute. The same God that raises the dead stops to linger with us in our tears. We're talking about the God that's high and holy, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the rock of ages and the great I am stoops to hang out with us and care about our tears. God sees your tears. He cares about your tears. Here's what else he says. He says, I will turn them into shouts of joy. Remember what he said when he was preparing the disciples for his departure in John 16? He said, truly, truly, that means for real, listen, I say to you, that's the Gary translation, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. You say, how could this heartache ever give way to joy? With God, all things are possible. And with God, the joy will come in the morning, right? 
You don't understand, Pastor. I've been through so much pain and so much hurt. How could he work this out? And I would say we serve a God that does things that we can't do. It doesn't mean that we no longer grieve. It means that we cling to him in the pain. It means that we lament to him instead of lose hope in him. And my personal favorite, when it comes to my tears, God says, first of all, he says, I care. No, he says, I see them. Secondly, he says, I care about them. Then he says, I'll turn them into shouts of joy. And finally, he says, I will wipe them all away. I got four little chicken nugget eaters in my house, all right? We call them the McNuggets because my nickname is Big Mac, right? And then my wife's McRib, and then we have the McNuggets, okay? So it works out really good. A little biblical exposition for you there. That's not original to me. That was given to us by a friend of ours in Cherokee. He told me I could never share that in Durant because it was his thing. But I did it anyway. I will not fear him, okay? But we wipe away a lot of tears, right? We have broken body parts. We had a couple of those a couple weeks ago. We had every kid in the urgent care in five days. Praise the Lord, right? We had everything happen from lacerations to broken wrists to wrenched back. I can't remember what the other one did. I don't know. But anyway, a lot of tears. We got... We got mean kids at school. I know you guys don't have any mean kids at school around here, but we got mean kids at school. Lots of tears. We got friends we're missing. And I've wiped a lot of tears away off of cheeks of the little people that God's entrusted to me. Right? It's just something you do. Isn't it a natural response? They're crying. You just reach down just wipe those tears away. And what does it say in Revelation 21? He will wipe away Every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. Psalm 116, 8 and 9. You've delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I don't know what your tears have been about lately. But I want to tell you that God sees them and that he cares about them, that he'll turn them into shouts of joy, and that one day he'll wipe them all away. This is life in the valley, and weeping is typical of life in the valley. Whatever is causing your tears, God is not indifferent to them. I have just a, a very, just a real brief challenge here. At the end, in one sentence, here's my heart to sum this up to you. Church, keep weeping. After all, this is life here in the valley. And by the way, this life is not the final word, amen? Keep weeping. Keep working. And by all means, keep walking. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word that we have sought tonight. Lord, where there may have been words of a man tonight, I pray that you would remove their influence and not let us focus on those, but let us focus on your truth and your words. 
We thank you that you walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. We thank you that it is not the shadow of death, but it's the shadow of the valley, the valley of the shadow of death. A shadow is often larger than its object. So remind us of the realities that are yours and that are true and not the ones that have grown and are larger like a shadow is. I thank you for your word, for your spirit, for the body of Christ that encourages us. I thank you for Pastor Zach and what his friendship means to me. I want to thank you for the ministry of Victory Life Church in our community. We pray that you would allow them to continue to minister well, to minister truth and love. Lord, to offer a hand to the weeping. Would you be honored and glorified through the ministry here? You're a good, good God. We thank you for walking with us, even in the valley. Help us to keep weeping, keep working, and keep walking. It's in the strong and powerful name of Jesus we pray. And God's children said, amen. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you.